0: you're listening to a message from spindle city vineyard connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com you're online with us today howdy hopefully you have a friend but you can always communicate rob's here so there's no one no there's plenty of people to talk to you can chat with each other online and share all those things um now that you're at least situated Spindle City Vineyard exists to see lives transformed and communities restored through God's love and truth. And we love that God is creative and he is engaging and he is at the forefront of us connecting with him and connecting with people. And So we're going to do things a little bit different today because the first Sunday of Advent marks this 40-day season in the church calendar where it looks a little bit different than the secular calendar, if we're honest. Most of the time, we have two sets of plans when we get to this time of year. We come to church and we've got these times where we're we're inspired or encouraged to be reflective and to think and to pursue waiting and expectation and, and, and have hope in the midst of seasons where we maybe don't have an answer And then you go out into the rest of the calendar, and you're like, I need to get a Christmas tree, and I need to buy presents, and did I send out my Christmas cards, and when are we having people over, and what's our budget? And it's flurried and hurried and frenetic, and so we almost find ourselves in this dynamic where one side of our life is telling us to go as fast as possible and get as much done as possible, but then the church beckons us to this time of quiet where Advent is almost this rebellion against all of that, where it invites us into a slowness and a steadiness and a place to contemplate. And if we're honest, really wrestle with the challenges that we might be bringing to Christmas that we just shove down because there isn't space to deal with them with all the busyness. And so however you come to Christmas, we're excited that you're here because it's the season when we get to anticipate that God is with us or his name, Emmanuel. And like that's such a big deal, guys. God with you. God with me. Think about the power of the creator of the universe wanting to hang out with you 24-7. Like at all the times. No matter what you're doing, where you are, he's so hungered to be with you that he entered into the messiness of creation to do it. Isaiah 7:14 says, "All right, then, the Lord Himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us." Christmas is the miracle of physical proximity. Think about the last person who showed up for you when you most needed them. It could have been this week, honestly. could have been this year. But think about the person who last showed up for you when you most needed them. Christmas is God doing that for us. It's him showing up for us. And we have to remember that that first Advent, when Jesus shows up in this little town of Bethlehem, it wasn't this easy, simple, oh, we're just waiting for Christmas to get here. It's going to be so nice. It's going to be fun. We're going to put some lights up. Like, we have to realize, we just came out of this in the Old Testament, guys. If you've been with us for the last year, you know that we've been grinding our way through the Old Testament. And Israel's not in a good place where we left last week. They've just started exile in Babylon. Their homeland has been destroyed. They're refugees in an unknown territory where the language and the culture is different. And they're establishing refugee camps and they're outside of their home. And so by the time we find them in Matthew, by the time we springboard ahead to Matthew, we have to realize that Israel, even though they're back in their homeland... They're back in their home country. Things aren't easy and simple for them just because they're there. Even though Babylon is long gone, Israel is under the hand of another oppressive empire, the empire of Rome. And Rome, unlike Babylon, isn't just requiring them to pay taxes. They've set up shop in Israel. That would be like us being occupied. I always joke like as if Canada would take over. We know Canada wouldn't do that. But imagine if you went around and you were going about doing your day-to-day business and there was another government here that was also making sure you lived by their rules and their taxes. And if they didn't like how you were living, they would punish you. This is the reality of Israel. They may be home, but it's like they're under house arrest. They were a broken and weary people at that first advent. And even within their own society... Even though they had the law of God, which was supposed to teach them how to create equality and justice, how to take care of one another so there wasn't poverty and oppression and brokenness, even though they had all of that, they weren't abiding by it. So even within their own ranks, they were hurting one another. They had a class system of who was valuable and who was invaluable, who was seen and worth supporting and celebrating, and who we hoped to just hide behind the closet and hope that nobody would see them. Israel had that even within their own society. They were a broken and weary people at that first advent. And their only hope. Because they kept watching failed rebellion and failed false messiah and people who wanted to overthrow Rome but were never successful and only brought down more crushing oppression. Their only hope in all of that was these prophets. And there hadn't been a prophetic voice in 400 years in Israel. God was quiet before he arrived. A silence that was deafening to an oppressed people who were desperate for freedom, and who are barely holding on to the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and all these other people who wrote and shared little snippets that they said, maybe that person will come and we will be free for a change. Isaiah 9, 4 to 7 is probably one of my favorite passages about what would happen when this Messiah showed up. You will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Hear this. Hear this. Oh, it's so good. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. Violence will have an end point under Jesus Mass shootings will have an end point under the restoration of Jesus. For a child is to be born to us. A son is to be given. The government will rest on his shoulders. And what will he be called? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. His government and its peace will have no end. The beauty of hope on this first Sunday of Advent is that evil is not infinite. It has an end. It is finite, unlike the goodness and the glory and the love of God, which is eternal. So even while we struggle today, that will not last forever. It just won't. That is the promise of God. His government and its peace will never end. But even while Israel had this hope, The journey of that first advent was so exhausting. They were barely hanging on in a lot of ways. I think a lot of them had just settled for the reality that that's nice when it happens, but we have a real problem right now, and we're just really going to have to deal with it, and maybe God will show up, and maybe he won't. And we, living on the other side of the fulfilled promise, where Emmanuel is not Yet to come, but has come where God is with us. We still have advent moments in our lives, right? You're like, Brittany, yeah, that sounds wonderful. But like, it's not fully come to fruition yet. God has come and he is with us and his kingdom has been established. But there is still battles being waged. The war isn't fully over yet. And so we have our moments of waiting and weariness and things we're contending for and promises that are unfulfilled in our lives. And that is okay to bring on Advent. That is exactly what God invites us to bring into the 40 days of Advent. Where he says, there's stuff that's not done in your life yet. I haven't forgotten you. I'm still moving. So be real and raw and authentic when you show up and say, God, you are with me, and yet these things are undone, and I can live in the tension of that place. That is the invitation of Advent, is to live into that tension of that place. Our challenge isn't, will God show up, but learning how to see where he has shown up. And so I want to ask a question this morning. We're going to lay an offering beneath our tree every Sunday as Christmas presents to Jesus. This is something I've been wanting to do with our kids at home. And I'm always like, what does Jesus want? And Beau's like, I don't know, some Hot Wheels tracks? And I'm like, maybe. I don't know. Jesus likes to have fun. Um, But I say a lot of times Jesus wants the stuff in us. He wants us as his Christmas present. So what we're going to do this morning, take about 30 seconds, is just answer the question that will be on the screen behind me of where are you tired? Or what breakthrough are you waiting on God for? I want you to just jot that down on the piece of paper that's on your seat. If you lost it, there's probably one on the seat next to you. If you're online, feel free to drop it in the comments or if it's private, you can message us and we'll put it under the tree for you. Thank you for being honest. A lot of you are like still going and that's really good. No one else may ask you that. If this is the only space you have to be real about how you're doing, then God bless that. Put it out, get it out, get it on the paper. Certainly come up for prayer if you feel comfortable with that at the end. The beauty of Advent is that we get to join in the waiting of Israel with our current stuff and get to Christmas Day realizing that God is with us. It's a journey of letting our eyes be reoriented getting to experience him and encounter him afresh so that he can speak hope and peace and love and joy to us. Because that's the reality. Even though we live on this side of the fulfilled promise, it doesn't always feel like God is actually with us, right? There are just days where we feel really alone, where we know he's real, we have a relationship with him, but somehow it just feels like there is 400 years of silence between us and him in that moment. And so what we're going to do for Advent this year, because it's always a time to be creative and have a little bit of fun, is instead of me having long talks, as much as you love listening to me drone on and on, Dan's like, please, 10 minutes more. He's not even here, and he's like, yes, please. We're actually going to do something really different. We're going to use our five senses. Don't ask me to repeat them. I kept trying to practice. I know them, but I always repeat at least two of them, so I only give you four. There they are. They're behind me your five senses, to experientially, tangibly engage with the presence of God among us, to learn how to perceive where God is moving so that we can actually sense him, be connected to him, and invite him into those weary places. And what happens when we do that exponentially, when we grow in that practice, is it becomes an anchor point for our soul. Where it says, I know, even if I'm walking through something horrific, like I'm going to the doctor and I don't know what the diagnosis is going to be on the other side of that appointment. I know I can see the presence of God. I can hear him. I can feel him. I can taste him. I can touch him with me. And so I am never alone. And so that's what we're going to do. And I think it's going to be fun. And I think it's going to be a little weird. Because today I'm going to talk about smell. And you're like, how does God have a smell? And I don't know all the answers to that. But I think we're going to have a lot of fun engaging with God in our five senses. And so I want to I just prep us with a little bit of science, for those of you that like science and understand it, because I'm not totally crazy. I might be a little bit, but I'm not like totally out there. The reality is all the information that you bring into your brain, everything, everything, comes from one of your five senses at least. It starts with at least one of them. Usually multiples are engaged simultaneously. So I wrote it, sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. Those are all the things that are happening. Um, And it basically goes in a matter of three processes. So the first thing that happens is you get a sensory moment. So I want you guys to look at the picture behind me. Dan's not here, so this is a bad, sorry, next one, Hannah. There was a thing called the World Cup happening. Still haven't, you can, Dan would be so horrified at the lack of response in the room right now. Anyway, lots of teams are playing this game called football or soccer, depending on what country you're in. Most of them, it's football. And England and USA played on Friday and Tim came and said to me, this is why I struggle because the score was (laughs) 0-0. There was no score. There was a tie at a really high level of the game. Anyway, look at the screen. Now close your eyes. As you close your eyes, that picture's going to slowly fade away. Because it was held in your sensory memory. So you probably remember snippets of that picture, maybe the score. But eventually the picture's going to disappear. You can open your eyes again. That picture was held in your sensory memory. You were seeing it. You closed your eyes. It wasn't something you'd seen before, perhaps, so it, it didn't stay in there for long. The things that you felt were important enough to want to recall from that, like for me, the score of 0-0... Zero, zero, I will remember. So when I close my eyes, I can still see it very, very softly in my head. And it's now being stored as information that was brought in by what I saw. This happens to us all the time. When, for instance, you are like at home and you're like, I need milk and peanut butter and toilet paper. And then you get to the grocery store and you buy milk and peanut butter and a candle. Or you don't even buy the third thing. You get home and you're like, I knew I needed peanut butter. It never really made it into your long-term memory. It was so short-term that by the time you drove from home to the store, or you walked from home to the store, it was gone. The third level of memory that our senses engage with is our long-term memory. And this is where they, I joke, they say it's like an elephant. This doesn't have a short-term timeline. Stuff lives here forever. Family grudges. I know, I mean, for those of you that have grandparents that are like, they've had a battle with that person for a hundred years. And you're like, where, well, how did it start? Oh, I can tell you how it started and it's like a fresh memory for them. We're gonna leave that one alone. But long-term memory can hold stuff forever, it seems. I mean, it just packs it away, packs it away, packs it away. And the interesting thing about all of this is that every layer is first stimulated by one of your five senses. Anything you ingest whether you think it's knowledge or not, it has to come in through one of your five senses. That's how we were created to interact with the world. And this is why holiday, or excuse me, I should say this, and the more we repeat a sensory experience, the deeper it gets ingrained into our memory, the more it gets encoded in that long-term space, which is why holiday traditions are so powerful. You know, you've been making gingerbread with your gram. She's now passed on. Every time you go to make that gingerbread, you get a little teary because the smell and the activity remind you so much of her. It's almost like she's in the room with you. That is because those senses are being stimulated and bringing that memory back into place because you did it a hundred times. Did it every year for however long you did it. So I want you to close your eyes again, or I guess you could leave them open if you're good at recalling with your eyes open. Um... And just think about a favorite Christmas tradition that you have. Cutting a tree, first peppermint latte, writing cards with your sister. As it comes to mind, what senses and emotions come forward for you? See, some people are smiling, and some people are like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> they don't all have to be positive. But I would love to hear one volunteer from the room with a positive Christmas tradition. If you would just share your tradition. Not you, Siri. Nobody invited you to the party. Um, one person who's like, I have a Christmas tradition, and I can tell you the senses and the emotions. Okay, hey, Barb. Just keep it short, because we've got a whole bunch more questions. Okay. Yes. I love that. Keeps it going. And I love them, and I so Barb was sharing that she has a tradition of physically calling her siblings, because it was something her parents started, and wishing them a very Merry Christmas. So you've got what senses are in there, guys in the back? What senses are we using? Hearing probably it. Maybe s- answering the phone, you're touching the phone. Sound. Sound. You're listening to them and their voices. Yeah, you might see a mental picture of them. Um, and then how that just, there's a sense, obviously it has an emotion in you, Barb, because you started crying. There was something sweet about you connecting with them that was important. I saw our, ki- our youth in the back, not kids, dare not say that. Youths. Did one of you want to share an example? A l- Lou right? Luke, Lucas, go for it, man. Sledding. Ooh, yes, that's a great one. What senses are we using when we sled? Touch. What else? See, I hope you're seeing. That would be helpful. (laughs) Sounds, screaming. (laughs) Tasting the snow and you wipe out. You probably get all of them. Great job, Lucas. That was great. Um, what emotions does that bring up for you, Lucas? Is that like something you really love or what? Yeah. (laughs) There's a little sibling back and forth there, pushing your brother down the hill. I hope you don't go too fast, bro. (laughs) I have a favorite memory sledding too, um, of my little, my, my little brother, my only brother. They pushed him down the hill. He was with my dad, I think, or my stepmom. And they hit a snowbank, and the snow went in his face, and he hated it. And that was the last time Austin ever went sledding that I'm aware of. But I remember him being like, so, like, what just happened? <laughs> Sensory experiences, it's amazing how powerful they are, and we almost never think about it. I want to just take... Mm, 15 seconds, maybe, maybe a minute, um, to say that the flip side of this is where trauma memories come into place, right? This is why trauma is so powerful and so painful, because in the same way that positive memories can get glued into our brain and evoke funny or happy or um, feelings of belonging or, or being part of something, in the same way trauma, PTSD can bring up really painful feelings. And and so that's why it's so important for us to realize what's happening with our senses. They're not something to ignore and they're not something small and insignificant. They have a really powerful impact on the way that we form our perception of reality. The way that we see, interpret, understand, and then choose to engage with the world is established through the sensory experiences that we are having on a regular basis. So if they're positive, they can make us feel safe and willing to take risks or be brave. And if they're negative sensory experiences and we never take time to find a place to heal from them, They can cause us to just shut off or be afraid or be scared of the world because all we know is is how to survive or trying to survive, which is why it's so important to pay attention to them and also why it's so important to engage God with our five senses. It's so weird that this is so true and scientifically proven, and yet we come in and the church is like, read this book. Or pray, and it's not that our faith traditions don't engage our senses. We did worship this morning. Some churches are gonna have incense this morning. We've got sites, you know, the churches look different. If you're in a liturgical church, they've got the different colors to represent the seasons. But the reality is, is we send people back out into their individual walk with God, and we're like, read this book and pray, which are beautiful things to do, please. Don't stop doing them. But we don't really teach people what it's like to engage with God in a sensory way in a real way, the way that we engage with one another. Turn and look at the person next to you or near you. You're engaging sight, right? You're looking at them. Say something to each other. Yeah. Hear their voice. Some of you touched each other. It was welcomed, I assume. (laughs) There's touch. You might've felt their sweater. You know, there's, there's, there's a humanness to their physicality that we feel like we don't always have with God because we just haven't learned how to engage our spiritual senses with an invisible being who is always with us. And he is, and that's what we're going to do today. I want to give you a couple examples biblically so you're like, Brittany's not crazy. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit shows up like what? Does anybody remember? Yes, I, was, I thought you said a plane cat, and I was like, it did sound like that. It was a mighty rushing wind, which probably felt a lot like a plane that they didn't have landing in the room. Like, we don't, we, it's not a gentle breeze, guys. This wasn't like, the curtains are blowing. Like, he showed up, and it was so loud that people ran to the scene because it felt like a plane just landed in the middle of the, their square. Um, so you've got hearing and feeling. you got Exodus, where God travels as a pillar of smoke and fire, so Israel can, see the presence of god with them they can engage with him they know he is there protecting them jesus institutes the practice of communion this idea that we taste the presence of god if you're in the catholic church this is communion is it that is the point of mass it it is it's it's that is the focal point because you're engaging with god with us in a visceral way every sunday I love, and I'll talk about this more when we get to smell, which we're coming right around the clock to. God gives Israel a specific smell that He wants them to associate with Him in Exodus when He gives them the recipe for incense. He says, No one else is supposed to use this. This is what I smell like. Isn't that cool? Like they would smell that smell when they went to worship, and that was the smell that they would affiliate with God. And then in John, the bleeding woman reaches out, and what does she do? She touches Jesus and she's healed Richard Foster says God is manifest to us through physical means this this being that we worship this this God who became like us doesn't want us to not know how to reach out and sense his presence he wants us to have an awareness of him because he knows that it anchors us to not feel alone as we walk through life. We just have to practice it. The good thing is you don't have to be like this highly skilled person who's like, I know how to sense God in the room. You don't have to be a weirdo. You just have to like flex these muscles, which is what we're gonna practice. And so I'm gonna, keep kept saying, we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it. We're gonna go do it now. Smell. All right, last, last chunk of our time is a lot more talking of you and must of me, but just briefly to share, because I do find the science fascinating, so good. Smell is our most powerful sense. The reason being is that of all the other ones, they all have to go through this um, filtration process, if you will, they go to the thalamus in our brain. Oh no, come on now, come now, come now. And then they go either to your amygdala, which is important to know if you have toddlers, because that thing's always on fire. It's basically just screaming train wreck all the time or it goes to your hippocampus, which is basically where you store memories and put things away. The smell is different, Johanna. It goes to the olfactory bulb, and the reason why that matters is because it houses both emotions and memories simultaneously, which is why when you smell certain smells, you are immediately transported somewhere else or to someone else. Think about this, and you can actually, I'm gonna pop three questions up behind me, um, and I'll give you my quick example. How many of you have ever dated someone that you then broke up with and you're like wandering through a public place and you smell their cologne or perfume and immediately are like, yeah. you can't forget it. It could be 20 years from now and you're like, oh, that smell is always associated with that person. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I still remember that. I remember what my ex-boyfriend used to wear. Tim doesn't wear it, so there's no reprogramming of that smell. Um, and I will never buy it for him for that reason either. I'm like, eh, you yeah. You have your own nice colognes that you wear occasionally. So the reality is smell is extremely important. So I want you to turn and talk to the people next to you. I'm going to time you just to, I'll prompt you along in case you get stuck. But think about this. What are your favorite smells? And what emotions or memories do they bring up? What smell do you find most comforting? And what smells instantly remind you of someone you love? So I'm going to give you five minutes. You can turn and talk, chatty chat. Yeah, favorite smells. So you can move on to things that are comforting. Start to engage with that thought of what smells are comforting to you. Oh, shit. There's another memory, Barb. I appreciate that. Begin to move yourselves as a group towards what smells instantly remind you of someone you love. like hearing all the things, they're talking about marshmallows in the back. Wow. 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 Which one? Kimchi. I feel <laughs> like, we'll have a conversation about that later. That is a really powerful <laughs> <laughs> smell too, Matt. appreciate that. We keep this in the basement. This is our other baby, our kimchi. Ooh, the fish, man. That has to be a smell. Maybe it's really a bad one if you loved your grandpa. part of your life. Begin to circle your conversation up. We'll give you like 10 seconds to finish that. Cause we've got another talk and turn in a minute. Fried chicken. There's a lot of food happening in the youth table. I heard marshmallows, fried chicken. that's the spot to be, that's where they say, was it through your, your heart, through your stomach maybe? So smell, I'm going to bring us all back in and we'll, we'll separate again in a minute. But smell is a really powerful sense that you all were talking a lot, which is good. It's okay. They're all right. The kids are going to keep talking and that's okay. Um, Smell is a really powerful way. It, it immediately brought up people, places, situations you loved. Smells matter so much. You can leave that up while I explain this part, Joe. It'll be fun. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? This is for you, Dan. Dan had all these opinions about my message this week, and now he's not here to heckle me at all. Um, <clears throat> Smell is such an integral part of how we engage with the world. It not only tells us when we're safe, it tells us when we're not safe. It helps us establish safe people and safe places and places of refuge in our life. And it also reminds us of places to avoid or get away from. For instance, if you smell smoke, hopefully you don't run to it unless you're a firefighter. Hopefully you're like, I'm going to call 911 and get assistance. Um, If you smell Yeah, if there's just certain things that you know, this is dangerous and I need to carry on. So God strategically included smell in the way that Israel would worship him. And I shared just a brief part of this earlier. But in Exodus 30, verses 34 to 38, he specifically says to Moses, every day, all day, this smell is going to be front and center with you. This is going to remind you of what I smell like Because he knew that Israel, as they went to worship, would associate this smell with God alone. And he says later, he tells you what it is. It's all these different smells. It smells, I don't know what it smells like. seems interesting. But he says, never use this formula to make this incense for yourselves. It is reserved for God, and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes this for personal use will be cut off from the community. And the idea was God wanted to protect that smell so that it was only ever affiliated with him because that mattered so much to him. Um, And it was, every time they would burn it, or they would, I love that God also included a bakery and a barbecue regularly in worship, like smoking meats, fresh baked bread on the table of presents. Like God had smells all the time. And we think about them as they were a pleasing aroma to the Lord, which they were, if they were given in the right spirit. But at the same time, they became sensory experiences for everyone who was going to worship. So that they would say, "Oh, they're smoking." You know, the Day of Atonement, when they were just lots of animals being burned. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of barbecue in one day. They had to put the holy incense to smoke over the coals, so it had an even more robust smell. God wanted Israel to engage with Him and to recognize Him, have an awareness through their nose, and so. I want to give you more time to think about what that means for us today, specifically as we're engaging God with smell. I want you to think about, and actually I'd like to do a little bit of this open house, like sharing in the room. Do you have any smells that you associate with God, with church, or with worship? Vanilla? Vanilla? Yeah, Andy? Boy, uh, we were mm-hmm. was it with church yeah, well, I, I, no, well we and only just there, for the yeah. sake of time I'm just going to ask you to share the smell that was most connected to the memory okay pine, pine. And that. Yeah, oh pine yeah. And and, yeah yeah that's Jason that's cool. beautiful I like yeah. that smell it's frankincense and myrrh, frankincense and myrrh classic anybody else our church has a weird smell sometimes yeah. roses gas. yeah natural gas <laughs> our, our oven it's just old it's fine Everybody's fine we've had it serviced we're not gonna die i love the smell of incense on at christmas eve mass when i go to saint pius it's the only time of the year i smell it and it's just a deeply holy quiet night does lucas have one What's your smell? Uh, gasoline from a gas can. Okay. I'm, I'm, I want to hear more of that story later. I want to ask this question to this room, and I specifically am so curious to hear if Hannah has an opinion, because this was a Hannah Graff question. What do you think heaven smells like? And please know that I do not have an answer for you, so if you're looking for... Definitive hard evidence. Yeah. Flower, garden. Flower garden. Sweet. Fresh air. Freshly baked cookies, Freshly baked cookies all the time. Bacon. Bacon. <laughs> Tommy. All your memories. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Abby, fresh air, fresh air. Mm, fresh air, yeah, I bet it does, yeah. Nora, uh, lavender. lavender, yeah, all the people with allergies are like, I can breathe and I can enjoy the smell of flowers without <coughs> <Yeah>. <coughs> coughing, <laughs> Ooh, sheets dried in the winter, Mm. imagine that's how God like feels too, what do you think it smelled like when God entered humanity? And just a quick reminder, he was in the middle of someone's house where, like, the downstairs guest rooms were all full, so they were rocked up into someone's living room where they keep the animals. They're doing all their day-to-day activities. What do you think it smelled like when God entered humanity? A barn. Dirt. Dirt. Sweat. Sweat. Newborn baby, anyone? Newborn baby smell? Juju. It, there probably was an aroma of poop, yeah, from both baby Jesus, sweet baby Jesus, and from the animals that lived there. It probably smelled like dinner. Somebody had cooked meat, food in that living room. space. There was a single single dwelling home that would have had a guest room upstairs that was full of guests. So yeah, would, it would have smelled like, your. what does your house smell like at dinner time? You know? Kind of permeates your whole house, right? Okay. Kimchi? <laughs> I, you can turn and, and just pause and reflect on this one privately. As you think back on your life, have you had some moments where you have most clearly seen God working on your behalf? You may not have a moment, and that is absolutely okay. Don't, don't force it. But I just want you to think back to like, oh, I definitely knew God was working here. And as you think back on that memory, is there a smell that is associated with that perhaps? Give you like two minutes because you might need some think time. If you think back to that memory, you engage it with your senses. Is there a certain smell from that moment that God brings to mind right now? It's okay if you don't have one because we're going to give you time to make one today. How We're going to end. If you don't have a smell that's specifically coming to mind, that's okay. Because the reality is God is always with us, just like he was always with Israel. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And you can ask him for a smell to associate with his presence. You can say, God, I want to know that you're with me. Can the smell of coffee or pancakes or lavender, or fill in the blank, it's your smell, so I'm not going to give you a smell to pick. But the idea is we can ask God, and so that every time we come across that smell, it becomes a sensory cue to us that God is with us in the moment. People have this with sights. There are different folks that have different things that they've asked God specifically for, and you can do that. So maybe think about your favorite smell the one that's most comforting to you or any smell honestly and if you don't believe in any of this even better because I want you to ask God truly just be like God if you're even real I don't know because we have some of you in here who I know don't believe in him just be like listen every time I smell this I want it to be an indicator that you're with me and see what happens this week I don't have to prove he's real he's already done that so get a sense, get a smell that you'd like in your mind. This is how we're going to do ministry time. If you're new to the vineyard, ministry time is an opportunity where we engage with the presence of God and what he's been doing. we're going to start it by going in and asking him to make a certain smell, an indicator that he's nearby, that he's with me. I want to hear your smells after because I'm just purely curious. But if you want, you can, let's have everybody stand up. We'll just stretch our legs as we move into ministry. Prayer team, if you guys want to surface from wherever you are, I don't remember who I have today. Okay. Um, We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, and I'm going to make space for you to say, God, and have this private conversation in your own head. It's very quick. God, I want you to be associated with the smell of vanilla. Every time I smell it, I'm reminded that you are with me so that I can become more aware of your tangible presence in my life. So, Holy Spirit, would you come? Mm. God, we want to know you as Emmanuel, not intellectually, not even traditionally. We want to physically know your presence is with us all the time. We want to see you, hear you, smell you, taste you, touch you. Know that there is no point in our lives where we are alone because you are close. And we know that you gave yourself a smell in the Old Testament. And so this morning we come before you as a family, individually though, to ask you to make a certain smell unique to each one of us as an indicator that you are close by, that you are with me, that you are proximate. So in your own heart, you can just offer that smell up to him and ask him to connect it to his presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more Lord.